Good morning. So uh, after discussion with some folks up here, my new policy is I'm going to ask all the questions of the people sitting behind the halfway point. So if you're up here, you're safe. And so the sower and the seed, Jesus explains four responses to the gospel. We have a new memory verse. So you're actually going to have to read it as we say it together. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with <clears throat> wherewithal shall we be clothed? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Talking about God's provision. Rely on him. Worry about the things of God, and God will take care of you. You'll notice Cadillacs are not mentioned anywhere in there. So last week, Jesus was challenged openly by the religious authorities after the people began considering the possibility that Christ might have been the promised Messiah. They accused him of casting out devils by the power of Satan. Now, he logically destroyed their arguments, but, but this was a watershed. Because after this moment, something changed in Christ's teaching. That's going to be the focus of this week. Against opposition, he begins to teach in parables. Now, parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's the Sunday school answer. I've always distrusted Sunday school answers. They can be oversimplifications. Miss uh, Smith was teaching her elementary school class. And she was trying to get them to guess an animal. She said it's small and gray and has a fluffy tail and it climbs up and down trees and it eat, eats acorns. And Jimmy in the front says, you know, Miss Smith, I know the right answer is Jesus Christ, but that sure sounds like a squirrel. And that's, that's why I distrust Sunday school answers. So I, I did a little bit of uh, research. Uh, parable. From the Greek parabole, uh, place beside. And it's actually a wonderful name for it. It's a short fictional, typically fictional, allegorical story. Well, it's a lot of words. Well, short we understand. Fictional we understand. Allegorical is it's, it's not truth. It's, it's, a, it's an illustration of a higher thought. <clears throat> Comparing an understandable truth, like a sower going forth and broadcasting seed, with a more complicated truth, like the way the gospel is spread. It's not just a New Testament um, phenomenon. It is actually an old Semitic practice. It shows up in the Old Testament. Remember when Dathan... When Nathan criticized David over David's killing Uriah and shacking up with his wife, he tells him an allegorical story about a shepherd and the sheep that was very precious to them, that they'd raised as a pet, as a member of the family. And the rich man who, when he had visitors to town, took that sheep and killed it and served it up. And David is infuriated by this story, failing to recognize it as an allegory, says, that man needs to die. And Nathan says, thou art the man. That 
is a parable. And it accomplished exactly what a parable is supposed to do, couch a difficult truth in terms of a very simple truth. Now, Jesus starts teaching, at least partially from this point on, in parables. And we'll be using uh, readings by Alexander Scorby per usual. So, brother, if you would. Chapter 13. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground, and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. The same day the passage opens, that's the same day he cast out a demon and was accused of Satanism. He went into a ship and taught. He took advantage of the natural acoustics of still water. If you're close to still water, Sound waves will just glide right across the surface and very effectively spread out. He was basically in a natural amphitheater, and a large crowd gathered on the shore could easily hear him. He spoke many things unto them in parables. Now, at this point, Matthew only reports, records one parable. But we're told he spoke many things to them in parables. So clearly there was more than the one that Matthew records. But, yeah, but why? The mysteries of the kingdom of the heaven would remain cloaked in allegory. But the basic truths remain as clear as water. I believe that Jesus continued to preach the same truths he preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus had a mission, and that was to get people saved. But the stuff that he's teaching in parables are the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. They're the 300 and 400 level courses. He's still teaching the 100 level courses in, in plain English, or in this case Aramaic and Hebrew, because that's what the people need to know. But he's not going to give them all this other information. That's for his disciples, so he's going to teach that in parables. Now, what's this change? The change in Jesus' teaching style, he tells his disciples, was driven by the hard, hard, hear-heartedness. Oh, sorry, I thought I fixed that. Hard-heartedness of his audience. They, hearing, would not hear. They, seeing, would not see. They refused to listen. Remember, hearing is an automatic process. Listening is a conscious one. 
The truth was still being taught. The parables showed the truth of the mysteries of God. But while it could be reasoned out by someone who was actively listening, the casual listener or the critical listener would get nothing. The spoon feeding is over. Jesus has transitioned into a new part of the second year of his ministry. Now, we don't know exactly when it happened. It was somewhere between the beginning of the second year and the end of the second year. I say it's in the middle. Your mileage may vary. Bible doesn't tell us, and I'm not going to argue with you over it, because we don't know. Now, some of these parables, after Jesus gives the parable, he explains it to his disciples, for example, the one this week. Others remain as exercises for the reader. And there can occasionally be problems with that, which we will discuss later in the lesson. The parable of the sower. A sower went forth to sow. He was making a quilt, right? Wrong kind of sewing, right? Okay, so he fired up his uh, McCormick uh, combine, ran it up and down the fields a couple times, yeah? No. Everyone, does everyone have the picture of the sower sewing? It's a, a technique called broadcast sewing. So you get on the radio and you say, seed, you go up. No. Broadcast, meaning you are casting it broadly. That's literally broadcast. It's going out everywhere. So he has a field, and that field has borders, and that field has paths that he has to walk down. And he takes the seed. Now, he's not indiscriminate. He doesn't throw it over his shoulder. But he's casting it out and trying to aim for the good land. But he's going to miss. It's not that efficient. He's not walking the field going dribble, dribble. He doesn't have that much time. He gets the seed and he broadcasts it. Broadly casts it. And that identical seed lands on four different types of soil. And the same seed has different results depending on the, the land that it hits. Now, do you think the crowd understood this message? The illustration, certainly. Do you think the average person in the crowd could draw the correct inference and realize that Jesus was talking about the spreading of the gospel? You have a choice. You can either do this... Or you can do this. If you're doing this, you're obviously a little confused. We'll talk about that later. Either that or your neck hurts. Yeah, I probably don't think the average crowd understood. Remember, did they need to? Does someone who isn't saved need to understand the mechanism of how the gospel is spread? No. They don't need the three and 400 level material. They need the 100-level material. You're a sinner. God's going to send you to hell. Ain't nothing you can do about it. God has a plan. What more do they need to know than that? They don't need the details of how the gospel is spread. So the fact that maybe they didn't understand it, not a big deal. 
but there are those in the crowd who needed to know, his disciples. So he's teaching, in many ways, just them. Let's continue. Brother? Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So why does the, sow, why does the farmer sow seed? He's got seed, he can just eat the seed. Why is he throwing it onto the ground? To grow more. Some thirtyfold, every seed gets you thirty seeds back. Some sixtyfold, every seed gets you sixty seeds back. Some hundredfold, every seed gets you... 100 seeds back. Yeah, eating your seed corn is never a good thing. And no interpretation of this parable is necessary because Jesus explained it. Yet, there are people who persist in going beyond Jesus' explanation. And once again, we'll talk about that a little later. But spreading the seed, Jesus said, is proclaiming the gospel. And the gospel is given... To all, it's broadcast, broadly thrown out there. The hard-hearted have no interest. The stony ground accepts the seed, but produces no crop. Does this represent the person who's saved but never accomplishes anything for Christ? I might think so. You might think so. I'm not going to argue with you about it. The thorny ground, too much competition. Love sin, won't repent. Either a Christian that's not very effective or one that never gets saved at all, maybe just appears to be saved. From the perspective of the kingdom and the spreading of the gospel, all three of these types of ground, hard, stony, thorny, same result. The gospel is spread no further. There is no return. There is no multiplication of the gospel. The gospel seed goes no further. This does not mean that none of those three types of people are saved. But the gospel goes no further. Now, there are many who would argue that the return is good works in the name of God. I don't see it that way. Your mileage may vary. I'd be happy to discuss it with you afterwards, but I don't think it's worth an argument. You can take whatever interpretation you want, but the truth is the gospel is spread and it finds many different target audience people. 
Is the gospel the same whether it lands on stony ground or good ground? That's the key to the parable. The difference is in the hearer. And that's got to be our big takeaway. Now many have gone beyond the explanation Jesus gives and they want to extend the analogy. Well, a farmer does his best to prepare the ground. Therefore, this parable must be teaching us that as good farmers, we need to prepare the ground. And we need to be careful about our casting the seed so that it mostly lands on the good ground. We need to attend to their every need before we give them the gospel so they'll be more willing to listen. We need to answer all of their questions so that they're ready to hear the truth of the gospel. Does the parable given by Jesus focus on the sower's preparation? Is it ever mentioned in the parable? These might be good ideas, but they're not the lesson of the parable. And if we start arguing that the parable says this, we're on biblically unsupportable ground. That's skating on thin ice. Because now you're putting your own opinion in. And if I add my opinion to the Bible, what's my chance of my my opinion being right? (laughs) Oh, I might ask. Even a blind squirrel finds an acorn once in a while. Give me as much credit as a blind squirrel, please. We're back to the squirrels again. Be careful in interpreting parables. Go no further than the Bible wants you to. If you're not sure, ask another. We're all here to be resources for each other. So modern ideas of this versions of the soil, hard ground are those who scoff and mock the message. What can we do? Pray for them. That's about it. Pray that they'll be more receptive to the message. Stony ground are those who take the gospel as a promise of life enhancement. Oh, this will make my life so much better. This preaching is going on in churches all across the nation and here in Houston especially. I could name them, but you don't need me to. They're going to be very discouraged if they really are Christians and they're expecting a rose-strewn passage and God, you know, the angels playing as they stroll through a, a, a wonderful life. Is, is this what Jesus promised? No. <laughs> he says, if they made my, my life miserable, why should you expect any better? These people can be easily discouraged. We need to warn them. And then we need to support them when they hit those stones. I went into my downstairs bathroom this week. And my wife has set the bathroom up to make her happy. What a shock. And we have a shelf, a rather sturdy shelf that I've attached to the wall very, very well. It's made of wood. And it sits on the right-hand side of the room. And I've never done this before. But on this day, I had my cell phone with me. So I set it down on the lower shelf. 
and then walked in and took the shelf right across the forehead. Just kind of thought about falling down for a bit. Never saw it coming. That's where these folks are. They figure, we're Christians, our life's going to be great. Until they're not looking, that shelf catches them right across the forehead. At that point, they're very easily discouraged. The Bible describes them as falling away when they're discouraged. We need to recognize these people for who they are, to warn them that it ain't going to be a garden path, and to support them after they've taken a shelf upside the forehead. Thorny ground are those who react to the promises. They may come up here and get baptized. They're going to come down here and get saved. Saved. But they make only a superficial commitment, and they quickly fall away. You need to show them their sin and their need for repentance. They may not realize. Now, that's one interpretation of the three kinds of ground. Once again, your mileage may vary. But that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is the sower and the seed and the fact that everybody's reaction can be different. Let's keep on reading in Mark. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now this second parable, given on that same day, is recorded by Mark, but not by Matthew. And it talks a little bit more about this idea of the seed and the farmer. Because the farmer is an expert in agronomy and biology, and he understands all the processes by which the seed forms and germinates, right? No. The farmer in this story has no idea. He throws the seed down because he's been taught that's how you seed. And then he leaves it alone. And he goes to sleep, and he gets up, and he goes to sleep, and he gets up, and he goes to sleep, and he gets up. And the seed grows by itself. The farmer doesn't make the seed grow. The farmer doesn't even understand how the seed is growing. He might make sure there's no weeds in the area. He might make sure there's always water available. But there's nothing the farmer does in his wisdom that makes the seed grow. What the farmer does is when the harvest is time, he gets out there and takes care of the harvest forthwith. Similarly, and this is a parable that Jesus did not explain, but I think the meaning is fairly clear. We spread the gospel. How much work do we do to get people saved? How much do we have to understand the process of how they get saved? We're not involved. We're just spreading the seed. All the work 
is done by God. Now, when the farmer sees that the harvest is ready, he acts and does not delay. We could interpret that, I think, fairly clearly, that there's, there's a time to act in God's name. And we have to be smart enough to know it, and we have to be willing to act. But the message regarding the farmer and the seed, or us and the gospel, is very clear. We have a job. Spread the seed. Now, also, just because the harvest imagery is used elsewhere in the Bible regarding judgment, doesn't mean this parable, because harvest is mentioned, it must be talking about judgment. Be very careful there. Watch your interpretations. But let's practice some good hermeneutics. You, you guys know what hermeneutics is, right? It's a study of hermits living out in the desert. No. no. Hermeneutics uh, comes from the Greek. It just literally means interpretation. It's a real fancy spiritual word, but it has a very simple meaning. It's the study of correct interpretation. The study of interpretation. So, how do we interpret the Bible? What's the principle given to us for interpretation of the Bible? You guys know this. I'm going to pick on somebody in the back half of the room. Somebody help me out. Bob, you're smirking back there. If you smirk, I will call on you. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Right? What's the reference for that, Bob? You know off the top of your head? Because I never do. No, you neither? Okay, you and me both, brother. The principle is God has spread his truth throughout the entire Bible. If you're not sure, look somewhere else and compare the two. So let's look for support. Oh, that did not work. Don't do that again. We have the next passage, brother. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Amen. This passage clearly teaches that God, through Paul, teaches that God does all the work. Now, there's, there's also some very interesting truth in this passage, and because I cannot resist chasing rabbits, we'll talk about that for a minute. Paul asks the Corinthians, are you not carnal? In other words, where's your head at? You're not thinking in spiritual terms, you're thinking in worldly terms. And there, there's a beautiful uh, truth in here that you may not see. I didn't see it until someone pointed it out to me. Corinth. Where is Corinth? It's in Greece. Greek intellectual thought, mentorship was everything. Who you were 
depended on who taught you. Plato was the student of Socrates. That defined who Plato was. Everyone was a member. If you were a philosopher, you were a member of a school. You were the Stoics or you were an Epicurean because you followed a man named Stoic or a man named Epicurus, and their philosophical thought shaped your thought and your thinking. Well, guess what? These Corinthian Christians, steeped in Greek intellectual thought, didn't even think twice. They figured the same thing applied here. And so they divided themselves up into schools of thought. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. He's my intellectual father. They did it without even thinking because it was their culture. And Paul says, it's different in Christianity. And son, you got baggage. You need to let go of that baggage. And trust me, we got the same problem today. We come into Christianity as, Amer as Americans with all of our cultural baggage. You want an example? We are slaves to Christ. How well does that sit with your American background? Slavery, bad. Freedom, good. Mm, American. Don't walk into this church with that cultural baggage stuck in your head. I'll do it my way. My way is the right way. This is it's American as it gets. But that's not the truth here. That's not the truth in God's word. Where we are, servants bought and paid for, literally slaves to Christ. <laughs> Got to watch out for baggage. When we're reading the Bible, when we're interpreting the Bible, because that was the problem the Corinthians had. But still, the point of the passage that we're using to support the point of these two parables not our job to make the seed grow. Not our job to direct the seed in a specific direction. We broadcast the gospel and we let the growing of the plants be God's job. Let's look at another passage, please. Chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. 
but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now once again, this passage is not primarily focused on what we're looking at, but it, it touches on it. And again, there's the idea in this passage that it's the Spirit of God that determines the impact of the message upon the hearer. It's the Spirit of God that is involved in the growing of the seed, the growing of the plant, which means it ain't us. Now, there's other stuff in this passage. Once again, got to chase that rabbit. Paul was a mighty writer and disputer. And since we've never heard him speak, we only get to read what he wrote. This is going to color our impression of him. He's a great scholar. He's a wonderful, wise man to whom the Lord revealed so much. And he wrote it down for our benefit. Yet, he says he was weak and fearful. This is, he says, you know, to the Corinthians, remember when I came to you, I was a shuddering mess. And there are many people who tried to figure out what on earth was wrong with Paul. I think it's really very simple. I'm not saying I know the answer, but I know what I believe the answer was. Think of stage fright. Think of how many people in the audience would be comfortable up here right now. Paul was an intellectual, and often intellectuals are not comfortable in front of people. Think of Einstein, a man of such great intellect that he could fuse scientific thought while working as a patent clerk, yet if you talked to the man, he was a stuttering mess if there were more than two or three people involved. He was not an effective teacher. That was not what he did. Uh, in a very negative example, think of internet trolls. These people who are horrible because they can hide behind the anonymity of a computer and they can say anything. But if you meet them in person, it's one thing to write, it's another thing to speak. But that's not the point of this passage. Paul came to Corinth, he says, intentionally speaking only of Christ and the gospel. The spirit and the power in his message was entirely of God, not in the wisdom of men. Paul simply told the gospel. To those willing to listen, it is the wisdom of God and his great plan. To the uninterested, it's silly ideas that don't line up with the wisdom of man. 
and this gets back to the parable of the sower, it's the same message. It's received differently by different people. Christ says there's four kinds of reactions. And the difference, Paul says, is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. You can't understand the things of God without that input because the natural mind rejects it. And it is a, a reinforcement of the ideas in the parable of the sower. Now, Paul also spends some time talking about the mysteries, the deep mysteries. Don't go too far down that road. Or you end up in Gnosticism. The idea of select knowledge that only a few have. You know, Christian theology, you can, I like to think of sometimes as a, a mixing board. You've seen those boards when guys are in the studio and you've got people out there and they're, uh, they're singing, they're playing instruments, and there's the guy in the back who's controlling it all. And he's got all these sliders that bring in the different microphones, right? All at the right levels. And if he's got everything at the right levels, it sounds great. But if he takes one of those sliders and maxes it or mends it, it sounds out of balance. And that's an allegory for the different aspects of Christian theology. You take God's sovereignty, you turn that knob up too far, you're stuck in Calvinism. You take this idea of Christian mysteries, you turn that knob up too far, you're stuck in Gnosticism. God has a central theology that he's revealed in the Bible. And every blasphemy of man is just taking one part of that and running with it, off in some goofy direction. <laughs> and you end up with these ridiculous interpretations because the guy at the board has got his, uh, his pot set wrong, his slider's in the wrong place. Be cautious. Watch out with your interpretations because we are responsible for rightly dividing God's word, not running off on our own interpretation. Bring it at home. What have I been talking about for the past 45 minutes? When we're spreading the gospel, we should not count on our eloquence. Paul said he, he gave the gospel to them very simply, not using the wisdom of man, but the simple message of God. We should not be selective in our target audience. Jesus in the parable of the sower did not talk about the guy dribbling seed out just to the ground he thought was the best. Broadcasting. It's not about the ground. It's about the seed. It's not about how hard we try. And we cannot know where the seed will sprout or when. We need to remember our role. We're a tool a proclaimer, a herald. A lot of times we get our heads stuck in this as our image of spreading the gospel. What is that? You know? Combine harvester, right? Carbine harp. Carbine. Combine harvester. When it does its job right, it's collecting up all of the grain and separating it from the chaff and collecting that grain in a spot. And sometimes I think when we think of spreading the gospel, this is the image we have. It's the wrong idea. 
This is the idea. You're just planting the seed. If the harvest is unsuccessful, did the seeder still do its job? Yes. That's the idea behind the sower and the parable of the sower and the seed. Come on, brother. Oh, wait. Not just yet. I've got questions. Back of the room. You ready? Have we talked about anything today that's helped you to understand parables better? No is an acceptable answer. Anything, brother? No particular comment, just a thumb. Got it. Anybody want to speak on this? Okay. How might understanding your limited role in evangelism help you to share more confidently? Don't have to worry about results. Not your job, is it? 